Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, Episode 63, the one about the NFT craze, recreating CFAX, Riverside.fm, and No Time to Die. Let's get on with the show. It's 2022, and welcome to another recording of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. We're back, and as always, we're here to keep you up to date with the latest news, tech, content, and wisdom from the world of marketing. My co-host, as always, is a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He is the host of the Content Marketing Studio podcast. Please welcome Mr. Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you very much, and yes, a new year, but still the same level of pleasure and enjoyment to spend time with a man who's also on a mission to keep marketing simple the voice of the marketing planet podcast and the author of cats Matt and marketing plans i give you monsieur roger edwards oh thank you pascal and this is episode number 63 and we're going to be talking about no time to die let's get that straight out on the table <laughs> at the beginning of the show we have been waiting like the rest of the world over two years to finally see this film and now we've both seen it and i think we're both fans of it so we can't wait to get to the film marketing section later in the show to really have a detailed look at this fantastic james bond film and the marketing behind it but before we get to that we've got to go through all the other sections of the show so let's start as always with in the news and we begin with some good news. Former Royal Bank of Scotland Chief Marketing Officer David Weldon has been awarded an OBE in the Queen's New Year's Honours list for services to advertising and marketing. Apple has become the first company to reach a stock market valuation of $3 trillion. That's $2.2 trillion Great British pounds. That's up 5 thousand and eight hundred percent since the first iphone was unveiled in 2007 wow well adverts from pizza brand papa john's and six cryptocurrency platforms have been banned by the advertising standards authority for taking advantage of consumers and experience in digital currencies and also failing to illustrate the risk of investment in cryptocurrencies Aldi's Kevin the Carrot has been crowned the best Christmas advert character after data comparing Google searches over the last five years revealed that Kevin the Carrot is the most Google Christmas <laughs> advert character ever. Well, fashion retailer Next achieved full price sales in the eight weeks to Christmas, up by 20% compared to two years ago. The focus was all about driving sales through digital channels and not promoting physical stores. Burger King launches vegan nuggets with the aim to become 50% meat-free on its menu across its UK stores as the fast food chain hopes to capitalise on the growing de demand for plant-based foods. Interesting. Now, digital bank Starling wants to expand its 7% share of the UK SME market by targeting small business owners with a launch of a new marketing campaign entitled Here to Change. And finally, global beer brand Corona is launching a new non-alcoholic beer designed to boost drinkers' vitamin D levels during the winter months in what the brand is said is a first-of-its-kind product innovation. Well, Pascal, what do you think about Next pushing up its sales? I mean, let's face it, everybody has struggled a little bit over the last couple of years for obvious reasons, and Next have taken the decision to focus their 
sales push and their marketing push on digital channels as opposed to the physical stores. And I guess there's been quite a long period of time where people haven't been able to get into the physical stores. Seems to have paid off, though. Completely. And what I think we need to also recognize is the fact that they weren't just selling the you know, kind of convenience element. They also spend a lot of time on creating a full online experience that could actually rival with the physical stores. And as I was reading this news item, Roger, I did have a moment about the staff working in those physical stores. And I would like to think that there was also a good internal communication efforts to make sure that people didn't feel on this occasion a less alternative, as it's to say, I'm going to work. I am working, in my case, and it could be the, the one in Metro Center or one near the, the big cities like Durham or Bishop Auckland. I'm going to work, but my employer seems to be favoring you know, online channels. And I think it was all in and around this idea of let us take let take care of you and let us make sure that the online experience is on par with the one you may get in the physical store. I think that's a really good comment to make, Pascal. I think there's always unintended consequences of everything that we do, isn't there? And you've really got to anticipate what those are going to be. But yes, you've got to take care of those consequences. And in this case, I think you're absolutely right. There might be people thinking they're sitting there thinking, well, if it's going so well online, maybe they'll start to close some of the physical stores and therefore my job might be at risk. So I think it, it is absolutely right that they should look after the people who work in those stores or at least keep them up to date with, with what's going on and make them feel included. Now, are you into plant-based food at all, Pascal? No, no. I mean, I will eat them occasionally um, and I'd, I've enjoyed them, but it's not something that I would seek out. So I've not made that kind of lifestyle commitment and change just yet. We've tried a few things over the last few months, I have to say. Uh, there's a particular brand of uh, plant-based sausages that you can get, uh, which actually tastes better than uh, than real sausages. But then I guess when you think about it, sausages probably only have about 5% meat in them anyway so it's probably not a great big great big push i was quite interested in this burger king moving into the the vegan market because i've seen it happening in a few restaurants and, and uh just before christmas trisha and i went to wagamama and, and on the on the menu in wagamama they actually had uh, and I think the, it, the menu was perfectly obvious. It was something like fake squid. I think that was exactly what it, it, they called it, fake squid. And it was made out of king oyster mush mushrooms. And they were absolutely delicious, absolutely delicious. Can't say that they, they actually tasted of squid, to be honest, but they were very, very delicious mushrooms coated in batter. So very, very interesting from that point of view. And I think back to your, sorry, your comment about both Next and Burger King is about being in tune with, you know, what's driving the market, what's driving behaviors and so on. And, 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 and I think for me, it's always okay when it's considered well and when it's actually, as you've done with the Wagamama's experience, kind of built into the overall experience of being at Wagamama's. I always feels little kind of awkward when it's just bolt on as, mm -hmm. a, as a quick fix or thinking, well, It'll never last. Let's just offer that very, very quickly, but with, with a view that in six months' time we'll go back to the normal offering. And, and I think that's what customers respect when they can tell that you've looked into it, you've even done some research, maybe you've asked the customers in, in the first place, and then you offer the service that they've asked for as opposed to jumping on the bandwagon. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the final news item I wanted to discuss, Pascal, is this last one about the global beer brand Corona. Now, of course, Corona, uh, same name as the virus. So they've obviously had brand image problems yeah. over the last couple of years for obvious reasons. But I do wonder whether there's some sort of subtle um, subconscious type of uh, nudging going on here, because isn't it a fact that vitamin D is supposed to actually bolster the immune system and help people against coronavirus so the fact that a beer brand with the same name as the as the virus is launching a beer which claims to heighten vitamin d levels is there almost like a subtle thing here if you drink our beer you might actually have a um a, a go at beating the coronavirus i don't know maybe i'm reading too much into it no but also you know we discussed this in the green room about january and typically it's a month that it's just a little harder to get through uh, the cold weather. Certainly we had some nasty cold snaps here. It's even snowed uh, yesterday afternoon. And I like when brands just bring a bit of wit, wit a bit of humor. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a massive seller. I think people will will move on and, and, and forget about it. But back to the side of people returning to the restaurant. And if you are the, the driver for, for the group, to be able to you know order a non-alcoholic beer, but to have a new brand to, like, to look into, I, I kind of like it. The, the thing about boosting vitamin D levels, I just think it as a, a humorous campaign as opposed to a serious one, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I think I think I'm I'm erring on the on the side of humorous. I mean, maybe they'll start selling um, free sad lamps. You know, seasonal affection <laughs> sad lamps as freebies with their with their beer. Now, to be perfectly honest, we could probably have talked about all the other news items there, and I think it's absolutely amazing that somebody from the financial services industry has been awarded an OBE, but. I'm going to hold that thought until later when we get to our creator shout-out section. But for now, Pascal, shall we head on to the next section of the show, which is the content spotlights. In this section of the show, Pascal and I bring to the table a piece of content. It could be a video, an article, a podcast, and we shine a spotlight on it, talk about it, and debate it. So, Pascal, what have you got for me this week? Now, this week I've got an article from The Guardian written by Jim mm -hmm. Waterson, who is the media editor. And I will tell you, I fell for the title. As soon as I saw the title, I didn't even know what the content was, but I thought I am including this in Content Spotlights. So the title is as follows. Text Appeal, CFAX Recreated by 20-Year-Old Northern Irish Man. And this is a story of Nathan Dane, who spent six years recreating his own version, online version, of the BBC's famous CFAX service, the text-based information service. And now, for our international viewers and listeners, this was a um, essentially a service that was text-based with some attempts at graphics by essentially using squares and, and dots of different very primary colours. And people would use their remote control to go on pages 101, 401, and, and the other. And in my younger days, Roger, I used to look after the commercial side of CFAX. It was teletext. It was my job to update the prices of flights leaving the UK to different holiday destinations when I was working in, in travel. 
And the reason why I chose this article, I'll give you a bit more information in a moment, is just this idea of, I was looking for something, and as always it found me, what would be an article or a podcast or video that would capture the essence of our conversations on Two Geeks and a Martin podcast? And we talk about simplicity. We also talk a lot about this idea of knowing where we've come from to know where we're going. And I think to have interest in, let's say, older technologies but also the older version of what you use today is also very important and can actually vastly inform your, your strategy and I'm also delighted frankly that a young person would have such interest to go into learning coding because the way this is working it's actually uh, extracting the data from the existing BBC website and repurposing it all into a much simpler format the uh, kind of famous CFAX and it's quoted in the article to say that I do find it really useful myself you have all the information you need on a page without all the distraction and one thing that you and I talk about on the podcast and the video series is actually the distraction element of this abundance of communication and how people are looking for hacks and tricks and apps to try and secure your attention where on occasion you know, as we've said before, simplicity is the best course of action. Now, you can all go on Nathan's website to access the CFAX um, service. It's on nathanmediaservices.co.uk. We'll put the link in the show notes. And to me, it was just a joyous article to read. And this story has been covered now around the world to the point, bless him, where for 24 hours his own website crashed because he didn't expect a worldwide audience to uh, access his information. It's just all the right signs and all the right key messages in a wonderful people story. I remember CFAX very well and very fondly. And also, just like you, I was also responsible very early in my career for updating figures on CFAX as well, teletext, as you say. This time, it wasn't flight prices. It was actually fund prices for investment funds. And I remember I had to do it, I think, every morning because the, the, the fund prices obviously changed throughout the day, but we only did it once a day. And I remember having to sit and type in the new prices and then you had to sort of update the online version and, and you just had to sit there and watch the, the cursor very slowly go across each line and update. And it used to take an absolute age and it was a great way of just having a little bit of a of a relaxing coffee in the morning but you know eventually just watching that cursor goes across the screen really did start to get a little bit tedious we we tried all sorts because what we used to do then is is create the teletext pages they all had a number and that number would be advertised in print media primarily that was really before websites and if any other means and what was interesting, we tried all sorts, you know, trying to use different colors, different layouts. We were trying once again to understand our customers really, really well. And, but it may surprise, you know, people would spend hours going through those pages. But to your point, you would click on the left or right arrow of your remote control, but you had to wait quite a long time for that page to refresh to then mm -hmm. show you the new information. So yeah. these were slower times. These were, you know, simpler times. It's, it's fair to say that the service started in 74, was um, pretty much terminated in 2012 when everything became digital. But I think what maybe Nathan Dane and by extension Jim Walterson are kind of indicating is 
just because things have become faster, just because you can do more. That's not just an invitation to just bombard people with information. And the article goes into this idea of a whole community of people out there who are you know, working alongside Nathan Dane to kind of go, we like that, we like the simplicity, we like the, the calm effect of a page without distractions and interruption. And, and as you have mentioned many a time on, on the podcast, this idea of engagement is all about avoiding irritation. Yeah, I mean, you don't need to convince me on this one, Pascal. I think we forget sometimes that simplicity is better. And and let's face it, being simple is hard. But I think that in the past, when technology wasn't up to the same levels as it is today, you had to be more concise. You had to be simpler because the technology didn't allow you to be complicated. But now we've almost got free reign to be as complicated and as as annoying and as unengaging and enraging as we want to be. And, you know, maybe it's almost a bit like if you only had CFAX, what would you write? You know, and I think it's a really interesting lesson. So I want to say thank you for Jim Walterson for reaching, you know, uh, creating the story. But I think the round of applause has to go to Nathan Dane, yeah. who spent six years recreating the, the CFAX experience using his own time, his own skill set. And, and I know he's going to have a very bright future ahead of him. Fantastic. So, Pascal, this week in my content spotlight, I came across an article by a guy called Ryan Cooper in The Week or The the, the Week website. And the heading of the article caught my attention straight away is the NFT craze has stopped being funny. Now, I have to preface what I'm going to say here by saying that this article plays absolutely perfectly into my current view of NFTs. So you could argue that this is a massive exercise in confirmation bias on my part because I found an article which very accurately describes my feelings on NFTs, but it's also a very funny article and it's also a very poignant and, um, I think, salutary lesson in what's going on at the moment but i'm fully aware of what confirmation bias can do you actually go out and seek things that uh, confirm your own opinion so i will make the effort to go and try and find the opposite view uh, over the next week or so just to make sure that i do develop a balanced view but let's face it there's been so much talk about nfts and cryptocurrency and blockchain and all of that sort of thing in the latter part of last year. And an NFT, for those of you who don't know, is a non-fungible token. Now, whoever came up with that description should be fired straight away. I mean, a non-fungible token, that's almost as dire as a a non-profit endowment, isn't it? What a dreadful name for a a product. But it's a way of... um, recording on the blockchain something unique and it can't be replicated so basically what they're doing is they're attaching these nfts to pieces of artwork and some of these pieces of artwork are selling for ridiculous amounts of money you know i've i've heard figures of 69 million dollars talked about and the person doesn't physically own the actual painting or piece of art or whatever it is statue they own the nft it's almost like a receipt it's like a an electronic receipt on the blockchain that says that you own this piece of art which might be in ah, so you might have an nft that 
says that you own the Mona Lisa in the Louvre, for example, which is plainly ridiculous, but that's the sort of thing that it would be. And this article really just rips the whole thing apart and says, come on, it's getting ridiculous now. Um, you know, these people who are putting together all these pieces of artwork, like the bored apes, which are basically little um, uh, pixelated apes all of which have slightly different colored eyes or slightly different colored baseball caps or whatever it is and they're selling these things for massive amounts of money and it just seems to me that it's it's not about art even though they claim it is it's just about greed and it's just about a way of making a lot of money and before the whole thing collapses and people start to lose a lot of money but this guy, Ryan Cooper, sums it all up perfectly. And I'm going to read you a couple of quotes, Pascal, because it's just so good. Now, this is this is how he describes an NFT. He says, the details of how NFTs work are a fascinating study in how utopian technobabble, heavy advertising, and the appearance of instant effortless wealth can convince millions of people to fling money into an incredibly dubious investment. I mean, that's, that sentence is worth the entire article on its own. I mean, I would use the term utopian technobabble in an article that I've written, I'm sure. But, you know, it goes on to describe the, the creation of an NFT. To create one, you inscribe some metadata about a piece of art, like a link to an image, into the blockchain of some cryptocurrency typically Ethereum, but it could be Bitcoin or whatever, with a smart contract requiring the payment of a gas fee, which takes up something like 48 kilowatt hours of electricity to mint this NFT. That's about the amount of energy you would use in your house in a day and a half. And then it puts this time-stamped permanent record of the metadata into the blockchain, naming you as the owner. And hey, presto, you minted a new digital thing that, unlike any normal piece of data, can't be replicated and can't be sold. And they're, they're playing on this whole thing about scarcity. They're playing on this whole thing about scarcity. But, you know, I wasn't really, I was joking when I said of the, Mona, the Mona Lisa before, but the, the, the bored ape thing is, Let's just create 500,000 different versions of the Mona Lisa, each one slightly different in a tiny little way, shade of her eyes, shade of her clothes, whatever, and sell an NFT for each of one of those. It, it, is that really art or is it just replication? Um, you know, Scarcity is one thing. Replicating things many times and making them slightly different is, is abuse of scarcity, uh, of scarcity I, I tend to think. And I guess that... He, he's, he is making some very strong points, and they do they do tally with some of the things that I feel. But I think the underlying current here is that at the moment it feels as if it's all about greed, and the bubble will burst, just like the dot com bubble burst back in the nineties. And unfortunately, some people will lose a lot of money as a result of it. Now, my personal opinion is that in the future, there will be a role for NFTs. They will find their natural place. It might be within games. It might be within other sorts of products. And they will be successful when they find their actual place but at the moment it just feels as if there's something slightly dodgy going on here and this article really does confirm that 
Now, I will say I will go away and try and find the opposite view as well, because this is very firmly in the camp of this has gone too far. But what is interesting is back to this idea of, you know, the contrast between the claim that something is artistic. And I have obviously been on this show to say, I don't get it because what I can see, which are the, the digital artwork that has been creating uniquely for that kind of transaction, I find just ugly. You know, it doesn't, re- it doesn't require any talent. We've, done, we've seen examples of people, and I'm sure they're doing it just to see how far they can take the joke, where they've created multitude of versions of, of penguins and they're selling it on, on those platforms and so on. So I think you're right. It's maybe going through its phase of chaos, like all other form of communication and digital, you know, if you think about the early days of SEO, the early days of social media and our marketing, although they are very unique in their own ways, I agree. This is just a phase of chaos. Then we're going to, it's going to move on to calm and then it will start to perform your own when it's found it's, it's kind of raison d'etre. For me, the, the suspicion is around the level of excitement. You know, I, I'm just the way I'm wired, really. I was thinking, why this excitement? Why do I find myself surrounded by experts where two, three weeks ago, this is something that they only played with? This is also where, frankly, you know, I've been saying on this podcast, it's, it has taken forever for those working in marketing communication to, to have a seat at the boardroom table. And we are losing those positions with jargons, with hacks and, and tricks and apps. And, and this is not going to help to convince somebody like, um, I can't remember which brand we, we discussed a few weeks ago, they tried to promote themselves by offering cryptocurrency. I'm thinking, just be very careful. This is so early days. You just don't know what you're letting yourselves, yourselves into. And, and the other reflection I've had is this idea of suddenly people are, again, very keen to get involved in some form of betting, in some form of investing in shares where the value can go up and down at any moment, where frankly, at no moment in their lives haven't been interested in shares. Nobody that I know involved now in NFT and cryptocurrency was involved in the normal ways of market shares. You know what I mean? They never bought any shares in platforms like zoom or cinema that kind of things so why the, the interest and the interest frankly you're right and they summarized very well about ryan cooper is an attempt to find a solution to make money by working as little as possible and i don't think for any occupation whatsoever because this one may be a very good one but to enter into an industry or to a um set of activities and the sole reason is to make money by putting the least amount of effort i don't think is a good starting point no there are certainly very many nft experts out of there that have appeared you know jumped onto the bandwagon and and of course they're not experts in in investments or um you know the financial services industry i've worked in the financial services industry in the uk and it's one of the most heavily regulated industries in the entire world and because of that it is a complicated industry but it's regulated for a reason because you can lose a hell of a lot of money if you don't if you do the wrong things and obviously crypto and nfts are not regulated yet and yes people are making ludicrous amounts of money out of this i mean ludicrous amounts of money but unfortunately eventually 
some people are going to lose a lot of money, maybe even their homes and their livelihoods. And that's the worrying thing. I'll, I'll just finish this section off by reading the last paragraph of the article. The whole point of the internet is to allow people to send information to each other for almost nothing. Most human knowledge is there on Wikipedia for everyone with an internet connection for free. Making art, in inverted commas, and scarce, in inverted commas, through a bunch of blockchain nonsense is a crime against nature and a sin <laughs> against humanity. And, 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 on that, and on that bombshell, as, uh, as uh, somebody might say, I think it's probably time for us to move on now Pascal to the next part of the show, which is marketing, tech, and apps. In this part of the show, Pascal and I review apps, marketing, tech, and gizmos that have caught our attention over the last week. So, Pascal, what have you got in the tech space for me this week? So, this week, the theme is around your video and audio production and just moving on. Maybe because this is a new year, maybe because you you feel like a, a change in what you're doing. And during the holidays, I've been receiving a lot of emails, Roger. I'm sure you have as well. Although I will say the majority was in and around trying to make me buy things just before Christmas. And then you did quieted down. But there is one company that did do the email marketing well, a company that we spoke about many, many months ago, and indeed maybe the early days of this podcast, uh, Riverside.fm. If you remember, they were part of the one of the many platforms we trialed indeed to try and find one that would be our production unit. I will say, give or take a year on, really, really impressed with how they moved on themselves in terms of the uh, functions and features, but also the way in which they market themselves, where they present themselves. This feels very mature. It feels like they really have stepped forward. And they are proposing now for a really low monthly fee. I was quite impressed by that. Access to full online recording studio. And although they started life as a audio recording kind of platform, if you recall, they now offer both audio and video in high definition. They also include things like separate audio tracks, which you would expect, but also like the way you, you the, the viewing window, if you will, of you know, having guests on board and tracking the audio levels and so on. It gives you one dashboard that is very easy to manage. And they are also offering you a very easy to use quick video editor where you can literally add some branding, add some background, make the video file look great, and then publish it online. So it's a return for Riverside.fm, but a just one, because they have really moved forward and have added lots of functions and features. And if you are looking for something new that can help you produce not just faster, but better, this is worthy of your consideration. The next one is something that I got from my Pod News e-newsletter. And this is a website dedicated to offering free uh, icons, logos, and graphical buttons for the web page where you may publish your podcast and indeed video files. So all those icons, you know, which are really uh, born out of the audio symbols and the sound waves and so on, they're available for you to download. They also have uh, lines of code and so on. It's called the Podcast Font website. And it's just this um, great treasure trove of icons and logos that can really add some lovely 
visual stimuli to that web page where really typically you have well the embedded player with with the um with the, the audio and video you will have your show notes but maybe it likes a little something this might help bring some new life to those dedicated web pages where people can go to to listen and watch your audio recordings so riverside.fm to produce the content and podcast font website to really once again give the web page a bit more of a punch Fantastic. And, and this week, I'm going to be talking about copywriting. Right. Now, I've had to write a few articles already this year for uh, a couple of clients. And historically, Pascal, I've been using Grammarly, which is a, uh, a little bit of software that you can add into your PC or Mac to effectively do proofreading it and, and it checks your grammar it also checks your spelling and that sort of thing and i also use an app called hemingway app which we've reviewed on the show before which actually gives you ideas how to you, you can improve your copy like cutting out adverbs and, and uh, adjectives and things like that um but some of these programs that i've been using for a while do have annoying little um habits for example the little pop-ups that Grammarly sends you to tell you that you've spelt something wrong are sometimes so close to the, t the, the text that you're actually trying to um, type that it just gets in the way. And, and sometimes I end up turning Grammarly off because it annoys me like that. And of course, once you've turned it off, it's not checking you anymore. So I did think, well, are there any alternatives out there? And of course there are. So the first one is called SlickWrite. Slick right, and it effectively does the same job as Grammarly, but possibly the interface is a little less annoying. So that's definitely something that uh, is worth checking out. But the one that I really uh, thought was a good um, alternative to Hemingway app is something called Readable. Now, Readable actually does what it says, it, it describes what it does, doesn't it? It makes something more readable, whereas Hemingway app you might think, well, what on earth's that? Is it some sort of book about um, Hemingway, uh, the author? Um, what, what I like about Readable is it actually says what it does. And again, it does all the things that Hemingway app does, but I quite like the interface. It's different, and it really does highlight when you do things like use passive language. Now, I've have a career-long battle against the use of passive language in marketing communications. It's almost become a passion, and I was well known for using my red pen to strike out passive language when I was in uh, big corporate. And I like the way that the interface on Readable pops up with its suggestions on how you can fix these things. So if you're looking to uh, enhance your copywriting, maybe don't go for the obvious Grammarly and um, Hemingway. Have a look at SlickWrite and have a look at Readable. Thank you very much. I did not know about those two, and I would agree with your comment about Grammarly. And once again, it's making wise decisions about what is the job, you know, how do I feel that day, and what is the best solution that's going to support uh, you know, my, my job on this occasion. Yeah. Okay, Pascal, let's set the controls of the TARDIS. Flick the switches on the flux capacitor, set the controls. It's time for us to head back in time for This Week in History. 
1929, In Old Arizona becomes the first full-length motion picture filmed outdoors and was released by Fox Film Corporation in the US. The black and white western was a box office hit and a review in the New York Times celebrated the novelty of the 100% all-talking Fox movie tone feature. In 1935, in partnership with the American Can Company, the Gottfried Kruger Brewing Company delivered 2,000 cans of Kruger's finest beer and Kruger's cream ale to faithful Kruger drinkers in Richmond, Virginia. This was the first canned beer. And in 1982, Time magazine publishes magazine number three, volume 119, and its cover is dedicated to video games for the very first time with the title... Gronk, Flash, Zap, video games are blitzing the world. <laughs> in 1984, Apple computers broadcast their now-famous 1984 commercial, introducing the Macintosh during the third quarter of the Super Bowl. And what a commercial that was. <laughs> you know, 1984 was a good year, wasn't it? There was a <laughs> lot of good music came out in 1984, and I'm sure if we went back, we'd be able to find quite a few good films that, that were released around about that we time. We have reviewed quite a few uh, in, 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 uh, in film marketing. For me, 1984 <laughs> will always be the year of Prince releasing Purple Rain, and ah, as I remember yeah. it. But um, that commercial still gives me goose pimple when I watch it. But I wanted to talk to you about this idea of an audience sat mm -hmm. in a cinema in 1999 yep. and for the first time watching a movie filmed outdoors. Now, the talk, the talkies, as they were mentioned, had ex existed for maybe a year or two. So it wasn't new. What was new is to have essentially the whole experience of the outdoors with the sound of the wind, with the sound of, uh, as was mentioned by uh, actually articles you can read from 1929, uh, horses you know, riding into the distance and the sound was fading naturally. Because up to that point, everything had been done in a contrary environment of a set with all the complication that came with it. And here they went ahead and filmed outdoors. And I I'm just trying to think, you know, what would be our version of being completely blown away by that experience, I'm, I'm guessing maybe Star Wars, maybe Avatar, but this idea of people went to see the movie, not because of the story, but because, as the New York Times mentioned, the novelty factor of watching a movie, which is completely, um, it's all about the sound and the dialogues being captured in a natural environment. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's just that whole getting your head round when something was totally new when we live in a world where we've already said you can you've got all the work and the knowledge of the world available to you on your phone and all this technology we have makes so many things so accessible and and you know even the, this second um, item here about the first canned beer 1935 i i would have i would have thought cans would have been around for for a lot longer than that but you know most people these days unless you're in a pub and you're drinking a, a beer out of a glass if you're at home and you're drinking beer it's likely to be out of a can yes you can buy bottles of beer uh, i can't remember the last time i bought bottles of beer it's usually cans uh, you just can't imagine a world without cans <laughs> can you you can't cans of coke cans of fanta cans of whatever it might be even cans of iced coffee you can buy but a world without cans Imagine what it was like for those first those first two thousand cans of Kruger's finest beer arrived at this. These people would have been, what on earth is this? 
how do I, you know, they probably took five minutes to work out how to take the ring pull off and all of that sort of thing. I think it's really interesting to sometimes just think, what would it have been like without these things? What would it have been like, like, you know, your CFAX thing earlier on, if we only had CFAX? And maybe sometimes that's one of the keys to creativity is to think, what would it be like if we didn't have this? Because actually, maybe if you had a second go at something, you might come up with a slightly better version of it. And for me, what is interesting in, in both cases, the PR element was really what was driving. So the the, um, the coverage of the, the movie, uh, I mean, I, I've not watched it. I'm assuming it, it'll be a, a fine. It's a story of the uh, kind of... Um, villain being chased by a sheriff and it's all kind of light-hearted and they're using the landscapes of arizona to 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 the fool and then you've got also the beer it's all about the public getting behind but also the media now back then would have been primarily print and and radio then the story of this audience leaving the theater completely blown away about those 2,000 people who, some of them grumble because they prefer bottles and others thinking the, the can is, is wonderful and, and all the PR that, that came with it. And just you know, reminding ourselves that we are practitioners, you and I and, and many of you as listeners in the art of engagement communication, but it started a long, long time ago. And it is absolutely the right thing and very fitting to just wonder what our predecessors were up to because there are lessons to be um, to be derived from there, and very good one, not just paying attention to the recent success stories on TikTok. Absolutely right, absolutely right. We 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 always say this though, don't we? We owe such a debt to the people in the past that created these new technologies, because everything that we have today is built upon their creativity and their expertise so pascal let's come right back up to date now it's time for the creator shout outs okay pascal who are you going to talk about this week so this is something that i discovered thanks to my linkedin network unfortunately i don't remember who i'm going to say maybe richard term maybe victoria fleming but a gentleman called james Eady. this is how i would pronounce your surname i produce if i got it wrong e-d-e now james is an audio producer and the founder of be heard so this is still the podcasting theme for marketing tech and apps carrying on here now not only is James clearly, because he's been praised on LinkedIn, a fantastic audio producer and can really help you with your audio marketing and podcast efforts, but he's also the creator of the Be Heard Guides and Resources Hub, a page dedicated to helping you into really your first steps for some time beyond in terms of your production. And I wanted to kind of give James a shout out because this hub of guides and resources is really quite impressive. And whilst those checklists and whilst those guides will be scannable you know it won't take it won't take you long to go through that you and i know how much time and effort in reflection and researching and then in creation it takes i wanted to kind of give james a shout out so you, you could have a access to the recording setup guide you can have the host checklist or the guest checklist you can also have a guide on adding your podcast your itunes maybe you want some top tips on podcast production maybe you want a guide on getting reviews maybe how to book a guest maybe you want some recommendations on text and maybe some associated services such as transcriptions and so on it's all there on one page easy to navigate and easy to consume and I just think it's a wonderful effort and I wish James, the 
the very best for 2022 since we can do that today but also just say that's a very good example of what you can do to add value to your community and get others to talk about it and get the just PR and visibility. Absolutely right. Pascal, earlier I mentioned in the news round a guy called David Weldon, who's the CMO, the Chief Marketing Officer of Royal Bank of Scotland, was awarded an OBE in the New York in the New Year's Honours list. And, and that's fantastic. But he's the Chief Marketing Officer high seniority and uh, you know quite quite a, a, a high profile i was also delighted uh, to find out that in the new year's honors list this year a really good friend of mine and somebody that i've worked with on and off for probably over 25 years in the financial services industry a guy called johnny timpson has also been offered not offered, awarded an OBE for his tireless work in financial services and working with the government to help people with disabilities. And and why I'm so pleased about Johnny getting this, and, he, and this isn't really a creator shout out, he, he's just created a really good dialogue between the industry and the government, which uh, I, I guess is, 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 is creative to a certain extent. Unlike the CMO, you know, Johnny has not got this massively um, big profile title he's not the head of a company he's not the ceo he's not the chief marketing officer he's been working his backside off in the background for as long as i can remember and he's, he's a really nice bloke and he networks really well throughout the industry but he's one of those people who is is in the background and i'm not I'm not dis being disparaging about that. He doesn't have that massive profile like the CMO might have. And that's why I'm so pleased that they've given him this OBE because it shows that people who are working hard in the background and don't necessarily, you know, head up companies and head up uh, sporting um, achievements and that sort of thing can also get recognized so well done johnny um actually johnny just lives uh, uh, about um 10 miles out towards north berwick so maybe um w once uh, we get the first week of january out of the way i'll come and meet you and uh, and, and we can have a beer or a coffee in a can um but well <laughs> done johnny obe tireless work in financial services well deserved super so yes again two fine selections james and johnny thank you for the inspiration Oh my goodness, Pascal, we have reached the point in the show where we can finally, after what, two years, we can finally talk about No Time to Die, Bond 25. Shall we head into the film marketing section? Bond 25, No Time to Die, delayed three times by the pandemic. And I've had a few rants. I've even produced a video saying, for goodness sake, release this film on video. Don't make us wait another six months to see this film. Um, having seen it on the big screen, I was wrong. I admit that it was well worth waiting to see it on the big screen. But before we discuss it, we should watch the trailer. So here it is. James? Fate draws us back together. Now your enemy is my enemy. How did that happen? 
Well, you live long enough. Harder to tell the good from bad, villains from heroes these days. We used to be able to get into a room with the enemy. Now they're just floating in the ether. She still loves you. Did you know that? What is it? You don't know what this is. Is she one of them? I don't know her at all. When her secret finds its way out, it'll be the death of you. both eradicate people to make the world a better place. I just want to be a little tidier. I met your new double O. She's a disarming young woman. Have you ever flown one of these things before? Nope. do this, there will be nothing left to save. When you're ready. You're late. Can I just have one nice evening, please, before the world explodes? Oh, fantastic, Pascal. I, 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 I still have goosebumps and shivers down the back of my spine seeing that trailer. And tell me, was it worth the wait? It was worth the wait, but it was a very long wait. Uh, yes. As you mentioned, we actually talk about Bond 25 in episode two of yep. the Two Geeks and Marketing podcast. That's taking us back to July 2020. At that time, it had been delayed because the release was meant to be November 2019. Then it got pushed to April. And by the time we recorded episode number two, we knew that it had been pushed to November 2020. And you and I were reviewing the marketing campaign of the time. And actually, we had lots to say around the choice of posters and trailers and some of the interaction they had with the fans on social media. But then it carried on to be delayed and over and over again. But I'm guessing that I saw the movie on, let's say, the small screen. I got the Blu-ray from for, for Christmas. But I'm guessing that you've enjoyed the big screen experience because this clearly, I could tell, was filmed for the big screen. We know that they shot this using IMAX cameras in addition to the 65mm span of vision. Yeah, I mean, it was it was gorgeous. <laughs> it was absolutely gorgeous to see it on the big screen. Uh, I mean, we've already had a discussion about this in the green room and the the, the color palette of the um, film, um, the the treatment, the scenery, the action sequences, the sound design. You know, it was immersive. Um, I mean, I, I've been critical of a lot of films over the last decade that I just think are too long. I, you know, I find that a lot with the Marvel movies. You know, they they seem to have 
to be at least an, a two and a half to three hours long. And and when I first saw that the Bond this Bond film was two and three quarter hours, I thought, oh no, please don't go there. But it holds your attention all the way through. It actually uses that time perfectly. And I never felt at all that there was any padding. It all added to the story and yeah i was on the edge of my seat for the whole running time when i was in the cinema and i don't even think i needed a loo break it was so in, in, enthralling yeah. you know i was sat there for the whole time now i enjoyed the movie thoroughly like you the storyline and i loved because this is a first as well i love the way in which all five stories all five films are linked and you are rewarded as a fan literally making reference to the first one the second and, and so on for me, not only were we rewarded in terms of a very cohesive story with Daniel Craig at, at the centre, but it was also the many references and nods to the previous 24 Bond movies. Yeah, I mean, I love that idea of being able to try and spot the references to the, the earlier films. And, and of course, there are people out there who are even geekier than us who have actually put together youtube videos pointing out all the references now i thought that i'd spotted quite a few uh, but there's a youtube video on there that goes through it and there are just so many i hadn't spotted you know even down to you know a split second scene of two scientists um in a corner and they're wearing the same sort of suits um protection suits hazmat type suits that dr no was wearing in the film dr no back in 1962 and it was literally on the screen for about two seconds that level of detail and that level of homage to the past is just phenomenal uh, and i think it all is in and around the the end of of, of the series now there will be viewers and listeners who have not seen the film so we're not going to talk about the story much more but i will kind of present to you the the case that this could have could have be the most talked about in terms of movies in the franchise at this point now it's number 25 so you can play a lot in and around the, the hooks and and the spins this is the last with general craig we know that this is also the conclusion as we mentioned of a storyline that started in 2006 with casino royale it has been delayed at least three times officially and four or five unofficially it has certainly created a lot of press in and around how much it cost MGM in millions of dollars wasted in marketing. Particularly, we forget that, in, in the Chinese market, which is huge for them. There was obviously the, to the, the talking around Danny Boyle being replaced by a lesser-known movie director, Kari Joji Fukunaga. Uh, however, there was no need to worry because the resource is just exceptional. It was also... You know, one where five days after the world premiere in London, actor Daniel Craig was made an honorary commander of the British Royal Navy to echo, obviously, the um, James Bond title. But we also know more recently that he was awarded the title of Companion of the Order of St. Michael and St. George in the Queen's New Year's Honours list. It also recently became the best-selling movie of 2021 blu-ray dvd and downloads combined it's not bad is it <laughs> not, not bad at all and what i love about that new year's honor and we seem to have talked about new year's honors quite a lot today um is that that is the title that james bond had in the ian fleming novels so they've actually given daniel craig the actual um honor that the fictional james bond had in the books and i just love that little touch i think that's fabulous 
So what we think about the marketing, when I began reflecting on it and researching it, my concern was, have they used up pretty much everything they had in their arsenal? Because there was the 2019 campaign, because I mean, it was yep. meant to be released. Then there was a 2020 campaign. I'm thinking, well, what's left for them to, to do? Uh, you and I mentioned, you know, they, they can't just recut a trailer. They can't just throw some new poster. They have to do something a bit different. And I suppose where there was a slight, um, you know, misjudgment on my part was, in fact, they don't have to do much because they can just piggyback on the effort of the last two years. And all they have to do is stay the course. And I think that's probably a lesson in there, Roger. Instead of inventing a third campaign, that might take people by surprise or take them on a different journey. You just build on it. Now, as a reminder, you know, no time to die. You and I wanted to go and see it <laughs> many, many a time. And we are thinking that as well, it was supported by multitude interviews and featurettes on TV, radio, and so on. It all started, as in this year's campaign, started in March 2021 when Billie Eilish won the Grammy for the song, No Time to Die, the theme song of a movie that no one had seen yet. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it's remarkable that the song, I mean, it did pretty well in the uh, charts as well, I think. Um, but the song being out effectively for almost two years before the actual film, I mean, that that's just the way it turned out. But uh, I guess it was there in the background. And interestingly enough, you know, um, I teach this um, musical version of yoga in fitness clubs called Body Balance. And that song, No Time to Die by Billie Eilish, was one of the tracks that we right. got way back in um, in the middle of, of 2020 uh, and in fact i recently brought it back um you know it, uh, so it, uh, i was using it two years ago i thought oh i'll bring that billy Eilish song back now that the that no time to die so that sort of almost set a set a post in the sand didn't it and and they could build upon the stuff that was already out there so maybe they they didn't completely come up with a, a another campaign a third campaign they really just built upon the foundations that they'd already put in place indeed so then you move into april the bad news is of we won't be able to release you know the movie we need to push it again but also it was followed very quickly on the 26th of may 2021 where you and i actually mentioned that in in the new segment of this show mm -hmm. amazon purchasing mgm and then yep. suddenly people got to be worried. Um, well, actually, there was two things. Either you were hoping for No Time to Die to be shot on Amazon Prime, or you were not. But Barbara Broccoli and Michael J. Wilson, the, the, the two that are steering the project, stated formally that this will get a theatre release worldwide. You just have to be patient. Yeah, and at the time, I was very cross about that. I even did a video <laughs> down at the harbour saying, for goodness sake, just release it on on uh, pay on demand i want to watch it in the privacy of my own home and i think they probably it, it was the right decision pascal i think to to save it um and and launch it on the big screen because it has been phenomenally successful and then of course the blu-ray has followed um, and the, the 4k it, it, version has sold so well and we mentioned it, it was filmed for the big screen and they were right to stick to it. So then we move on to the summer. On the 31st of August 2021, the final international trailer is released on the official 007 YouTube channel and across social media with two strap lines. The wait is over 
and every mission has led to this, which I thought was very thrilling. Yes. And there was also a series of podcasts that they put out as well in the run-up to the release, which isn't as well known it's worth it's worth worth searching it out because there's quite a lot of information in there not only about the story and the actors and the and the um and the filming but you know just the process of putting a film like this together um that that's a nice little binge listen that you can go and find if you want it true and they took the decision to make it a limited series so i I believe that the last one was published more, more recently it's not going to go on forever and I think it's almost like something you could take pleasure in finding for yourself. So from August, we're moving on to September. And of course, on the 10th of September in the US and a few days later in the UK, the teaser trailer to announce that the box office has opened. Go and get your tickets. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, I've never... I've never ever bought a ticket for a film well in advance. I usually just buy it on the day I go to see the film. But again, it's a nice temperature check, isn't it, to see what the level of demand is going to be for it. And uh, I think straight in there, we went to see it within a couple of days of it being released. Yeah, so of course, vastly covered by the media of all forms to the world premiere in London, and what a premiere that was. I mean, I watched it and be feeling quite <laughs> quite envious. But uh, a part of the, the PR push as well wasn't just um, look at us, we're having a premiere and all the right people are there. But this was also um, the uh, kind of event for the James Bond charity benefit world premiere. And mm-hmm. this has been one of the most successful fundraising activities where they had raised over 1 million UK yeah. pounds for different charities. And that's been one of the most successful kind of uh, fundraising event uh, for the franchise. Yeah, and of course, the actual day that it finally came out was the 30th of September, which is almost two years later than it was originally intended. I know. So when do you remember what date did you go and see it? I think we probably went on, um, it was a Saturday before the 6th of October. So it would have been the day after it was released. We went on the, we went on the 1st of October. Yeah, uh, you were because we recorded a podcast a week later on my birthday, and you said to me, "Oh my God, I can't wait for you to see the <laughs> movie because I need to talk about it with somebody else." Uh, you mentioned that the podcast. Um, obviously, we, we almost had with No Time to Die a post-release push. You know, you had to do that. So on the seventh of October, yeah. a day before my birthday, the um, Apple TV exclusive, which I think is an interesting one. You know, again, working with brands like Apple TV. So only available on Apple TV, discover the untold story of Daniel Craig's 007, the legacy in a special retrospective. The title was being James Bond. So there is a teaser um, version on YouTube, but the full version you have to wait for maybe for the rights to be released to all the streaming platforms if you don't have Apple TV. Yeah, yeah. And of course, it didn't take long in the end for the Blu ray, the, the DVD, mm. and of course, the download versions to come out. Um, I mean, there was a campaign promoting collector's editions and, and this, that, and the other. But finally, finally, the Blu ray and the 4K and the download versions came out on the 20th of December. Now, again, I I think back to that video when I was having a rant in the middle of um, 2020 saying, just release this on on download. But, you know, I would encourage anybody who's not seen this at all 
go and see it at the cinema if you can so you've got the big screen and you've got the surround sound but if you can't go to the cinema i would encourage you to actually buy the blu-ray or the 4k version because downloaded films as good as they are they always compress the audio don't they pascal and the audio suffers as a result of that compression whereas with the dvd blu-ray 4k version you're always going to get the full sound experience and again that's well worth paying that little bit of extra for if you can I and mean, we did that sandbar wasn't full <laughs> i can tell you uh, and the images were just so clear and neat because sometimes actually you've been there i've bought some blu-rays and particularly with dark scenes you know the contrast is just too much you can't see anything yeah. this looked absolutely beautiful so that the, the rendering has been exceptional um they kind of carried on keeping the excitement going till the end of the year so on on, on christmas day they had a um, kind of lovely animated Merry Christmas message on mm. social media using the the dots that we saw on the opening credits, which actually is an echo of the Doctor No opening credits. And then there was also a unboxing day for thinking about maybe families getting together. You could access the 2021 Christmas quiz on the official Bond website. I had a quick look. It was bloody hard, I tell you. I, I consider <laughs> myself a fan, but there was many things I didn't know about the Bond universe. Oh, that's interesting. And of course, this year, 2022, will be the 60th anniversary uh, of the release of Doctor No. That's right. I can't believe that. So wow. just wrapping up you know, to a point that the marketing review on, the, on New Year's Day on the 1st of January across all official social media, the, um, the message was, this year we celebrate the 60th anniversary of the James Bond series. Watch out for announcements, events, and new content across 2022. So they're going to obviously keep up the pressure and keep up the, uh, the momentum. Again, I think that... This the lesson you learn here is that marketing takes time, and yes, they had to delay the product, uh, but the marketing couldn't stop. and And I think that we should learn from that. And it's being tenacious, but it's also about building upon the foundations that you put down and not totally reinventing them, which is what they did here. That's what I did. Uh, and you and I could cite examples from all the other film marketing campaigns and say, so, well, what about this? What about the other? And what I will say is, yeah, I think that their marketing campaign is very much a push type of marketing campaign. There's not a great deal of interaction with the audience like we've seen with other um, blockbusters, but that's their decision and, and they're stuck yeah. with it. And, and for my part, if as an audience I've had to literally contend with three different marketing campaigns every single time with three different kind of executions and, and maybe look and feel and tone that could have been just uh, tricky here what i had was admittedly uh, it really had to be very patient but a two-year-long campaign where they just went back and revisited they got um everybody from cast and crew involved in different things and I will say, from a point of view of inspiration, I would encourage people to really check out the official 007 social media accounts and just observe what they do across a month or two, and you would learn a lot of interesting tricks from them. So to finish off, Pascal, would you say it's the best Bond movie that they've ever made? No Time to Die? No, I, I will say that for me personally... Um, Skyfall still 
you know, for me, Skyfall is 10 out of 10. This one's maybe 9 out of 10. Mm-hmm. What about I you? Mean, I mean, I, I'm not sure. I mean, one of my all-time favourites is... Um, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. We've reviewed that before in film marketing. And of course, without giving away anything about the plot, there are some lovely musical cues and callbacks in No Time to Die 2 on Her Majesty's Secret Service. So that, to me, tied those two films together very strongly. And maybe on a majesty's secret service is still my favorite but this one is definitely in the top 10 definitely in the oh, top for sure. 10 and i would agree with you that it's probably a, a 9 out of 10 skyfall i think skyfall was had a few flaws as well but i think i, I agree with your your scoring system there <laughs> so <laughs> that that that's that's absolutely spot on so i oh it's it's hasn't it been good to talk finally about No Time to Die. We really have gone through all of those episodes of the podcast. We talked about it in episode two, but of course we hadn't seen the film. And now finally in episode 63, we can talk about the film. 63, yeah. So all of that work that we've done and all the reviews and all the content spotlights and the marketing tech and apps have gone under the bridge and finally... No Time to Die is in our sights. Everyone, thank you so much for watching and listening to the first Two Geeks in a Marketing Podcast episode of 2022. We do appreciate you listening. We do appreciate you watching. We would appreciate if you were to give us some feedback, give us some comments either on the YouTube channel or you can look for us on Twitter. But until the next episode, please do go out there and make sure that your marketing is done right. I was Roger Edwards and he was Pascal Fintoni. Mm-hmm.